just a note before we start. Uh, there was there was a lot of weird noise coming from your microphone last pod. Okay. Can but, you hear this? Yes. Oh. That you play in the world's tiniest violin. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I tend to fidget. I'm a fidgeter. <laughs> I thought I, I thought that was going to be, could you hear this? And you're like flipping me off or something. <laughs> Are you going to bark all day? Just a figment of your imagination. Here's Johnny! You are a sad, strange little man. These guys will let it. Don't fail me again. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Popcorn Bucket Podcast with Ben and Rob. This is a regular look at the wonderful world of films, film franchises and film nonsense. This week is a one-shot episode in which we pick a topic and choose a standalone film that isn't connected to a prequel, spin-off or sequel to discuss with full spoilers and hope that the other hasn't picked it and that we've chosen wisely and uniquely. This week, the random popcorn maker film topics has popped up a listener request. MGM classic films from Bex. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Bex. So I was quite eager to do this one okay. because I'm no expert. So I was like, okay, this is going to be a challenge. Knowing you... You've probably got some... Have you got some history about Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer? Oh, got some as, as a matter of, of fact, yes. Brilliant. Okay, so I just teed you up nicely. <laughs> that was good. Yeah. Because saying no would have been... Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. I'd have been like, oh, shit. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, so yes. Robert, do you have something to say about MGM Studios? Thanks, Benjamin. Yes. MGM Metro Goldwyn Mayer, the big MGM, founded in 1924, a merger of Metro Pictures, Goldwyn Pictures, and Louis B. Mayer Productions. The slogan when they launched was "More stars than there are in heaven" because of the amount of people that they had signed were contract stars and actors to their roster. Um, it's had many ups and downs throughout the near hundred years. It's owned film studios, movie theaters, production houses, televisions, hotels. Um, it bought United Artists in 1980 and has been bought by a man called Kirk Kinkorian three times throughout its history. It's now owned by Amazon. It's home to the Rocky and James Bond franchises. You can tell it's an MGN film because it starts with the famous Roaring Lion. Ben, Roaring Lion. <laughs> exactly almost like that. Yeah. Uh, who's known as Leo. <laughs> That's more of a <coughs> throat killer. <laughs> what was that? I, I was trying to go for like more of a gust. It sounds like it, a harassed pig. It, there was too much pig snort in it. Don't worry. Roar, lion noise. Yeah, nailed it. I'll, I'll just put the actual one in the podcast. You can't copyright a lion's... Actually, you probably can. I'll figure it out. So, Leo the Lion was first used on Goldwyn Pictures, and there have been 11 different lions since 1917. The current one has been used since 1957 and is the only one called Leo who's actually called Leo rather than his stage name. Uh, in 1965, they used this logo of a stylized lion for a little bit. And in 2021, the, um, the logo was replaced by a CGI lion based on the footage of the 1957 Leo the Lion. And the Latin motto of Arts Grata, Grata Artis is replaced for, temporarily by Arts for Arts Sake in English before switching back to the Latin. It was supposed to debut on No Time to Die, but... I think it was uh, due to the delays for the pandemic was first put on a, I think, a Aretha Franklin biopic. Thanks, okay. fact, ma'am. No problem. Now fly away. So are you going to go first or am I? 
I'll go first because I'll go first. You can tell me I'm wrong, and then you can just carry on. Yeah, what? Don't don't get sniffy with me. <laughs> why why are you getting all like that? I will admit I found it quite difficult to locate an MGM film because I don't. Yeah, they uh, haven't done many. I wasn't sure kind of what we were defined, like what era we were defining, whether it had to be a certain era. Um, and also, since I, I don't own many MGM films, I did think when I found out they bought United Artists, I did think about going for an early Chaplin film. Right. But I figured you would have said that was wrong because it's a different studio. I mean, I, I think, like with all the best one-shot topics, it's open to interpretation. I, I, mine was i kind of thought from like the i was thinking when they were big when they had that more stars than there are in heaven yeah. type deal that's where i kind of was thinking initially but it could be it could be anything it really it really could be a kind of thing as long as you can argue that it's an mgm classic um i don't think you're going to get too much pushback i mean well as you said i'm probably going to tell you you're wrong yeah but you know that's fine well, I've gone for the most classic of MGM classics. I've gone for 1939's Wizard of Oz. Oh, you slimy bastard. Yeah. Cool. cool. Well, no one's seen this movie, and it's not beloved by millions, so this will be, uh, be a tough one, mate. Sorry, shall I dull the sarcasm down a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, released in 1939, it's an adaptation of L. Frank Baum's 1900 novel, Directed by Victor Fleming, starring Judy Garland, Frank Morgan, Ray Bolger, Bert Leher, Jackie Haley, Billy Burke, and Margaret Hamilton. With songs written by Edgar Yip Harburg uh, and composed by Harold Arlen. The plot follows young Dorothy Gale and her dog, swept away by a tornado from their Kansas farm to the magical land of Oz, and embark on a quest with three new friends to see the wizard, who can return her to her home and fulfil the other's wishes. I mean, you can't get more classic than this movie, can you? No, that's what I said, the most classical of all MGM classics. Yeah, yeah. So, go on, man, hit me with your your very Rob take on The Wizard of Oz. Well, I was inter interested, it begins with an overture where you've got like little excerpts of all the music uh, as the sort of the credits start over the film. It's kind of like an orchestra in like mm. a play, which I guess, because... I mean, I guess cinema had only been around for sort of a few decades by that point. So still quite a lot of theatrical stylings. Yes. Um, it starts in sort of sepia. And yep. I mean, spoilers of the Wizard of Oz, but the film's been out <laughs> since 1939. I don't think you have to spoil the, the Wizard of Oz, mate. I think it's, it's probably the first time in a while I've watched it quite closely. I like how all the people who you will later meet as the sort of the Tin Man, Scarecrow, um, Cowardly Lion, all have like lines about Th th um, the, the guy who is eventually the scarecrow is wandering around the farm saying things like if I only had a brain oh okay I haven't and, seen it for a while so I haven't no I maybe before I was aware of foreshadowing so does the cowardly lion guy say anything yeah I can't quite remember what it was but it was oh, oh no yeah he was like scared by a pig ah uh, and, and just people kept saying you really lack the courage and he was like put him up put him up yes there's a twister attack and apparently that was made by a 35 foot long piece of uh, nylon nylon tights or something which they just sort of waved around and filmed over some miniature houses to make it look like a tornado they were magicians back in the day weren't they it's really impressive like all the kind of, uh, yeah just how, like the transition from um, sepia to the technical world of Oz yeah well that's certainly something I remember I remember seeing it when I was in school on video 
and uh and yeah just even on video on like a crappy crt tv those colors pop yeah and it's just it's just amazing well it took them a week to agree on the color of the yellow brick road on the on the shade of it um because wow. they were sort of trying to make all the colors really vibrant initially the transition from sepia to to the technicolor was going to be they're going to hand tint the frames but it costs it costs too much so they painted an area of the set in the sepia color of the film so when and i think they had a a body double for judy garland wearing a sepia color clothing and um, so it looked like it was shot and then she opens the door and steps out and judy garland steps out in a technicolor dress that's awesome so it's all it's done in kind of one take rather than a transition. You can't help but admire the ingenuity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's. I mean, I, and look, and I'm not I'm not saying that modern kind of filmmaking doesn't have its challenges and things like that, but they really were just finding their feet at this point. Yeah, and the fact that they came up with stuff like that just to just to kind of that that's that's incredible. Apparently, the only location shot is the opening clouds at the beginning of the film, where the title appears. Everything else is on studio. Yeah, um, makes sense. That that sort of transition from sepia uh, to technicolor was kind of repeated in uh, I can't remember what year it came out, but Tron Legacy, where it went from two D to three D in certain places. Mm. And I think at the time they're like, it's like The Wizard of Oz. Tron Legacy is nothing like The Wizard of Oz. Well, I don't think anyone's saying it's like The Wizard of Oz. They do at the time. I will defend Tron Legacy. Not much. Somebody should. It's not a hill I'm going to die on, but I will defend Tron Legacy with creepy CGI Jeff Bridges. Good name for a band. Creepy CGI Jeff Bridges. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he'd be delighted. <laughs> but that's a discussion for another time. Let's get back to The Wizard of Oz, a completely unrelated film. So uh, a lot of the lines from The Wizard of Oz appear in, um, appear in like most quoted lines from films, such as, we're not in Kansas anymore, and um, that's you all over the place, all the other ones. <laughs> Follow the Elbert Road. I'll get you my little, uh, my little pretty, and your dog too. Oh, that's yeah, that's absolutely classic. Who would you argue is the MVP of the movie? Possibly the witch. I think the witch. It's a hell of a performance. Some of her scenes were cut or uh, cut back or cut entirely because it was deemed too frightening for audiences. Mm. And she I mean, suffered quite horrific burns on set, which uh, they had to try, so they tried to get her makeup off. To, in order to treat her, and they used acetone to get the makeup, Ooh. which made it even worse. Yeah, that's grim. Didn't the uh, Tin Man have some kind of thing with his makeup well, as well? Well, the Tin Man, so Ray Bog was hired to be the Tin Man, and Buddy Ebsen was hired to be the Scarecrow. Ray Bolger wanted to play the Scarecrow and, and said that he wasn't a tin, like a, a, a tin actor, that, that he could really dance and, and, and sort of campaigned, and so they swapped roles. So Ray Bolger played the Scarecrow, and Buddy Ebsen played the Tin Man. Buddy Ebsen then had a really bad reaction to the aluminium paint that they used to mm. play the uh, they used to play the tin man and ended up being hospitalized so had to be removed none, none of his footage is in the film his voice is in some of the ensemble songs but he was then replaced oh and for the snow scene where um which is weirdly a scene i always forget about where um they fall asleep in the field of poppies the snow they used was asbestos <laughs> wow yeah, I mean, it's all very well to applaud the ingenuity. And obviously they didn't know about that stuff back yeah, in the day. Yeah, they did. They knew about asbestos. Did they? Yep. Well, shit, there's no excuse then. Christ. Well, it had been identified. So whether it was common knowledge, but the issues around asbestos had been identified then. Maybe that's not true. I don't know. 
Because you used yeah, the building know. for decades afterwards. Yeah, I know. And then they had a big thing about removing asbestos. And I, I think yeah. if, if it had been discovered in the 1930s, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to check the history of asbestos.com and see <laughs> what they have to say. Uh, carry on with your thing. No, the 1970s. Oh, really? Yeah. So they didn't know. So, so they didn't know. Fine. I mean, it's still not cool, though, is it? Ooh, <laughs> a nice yeah. thing I found, that the coat worn by the guy who played the wizard, uh, Frank Morgan, they went to a, a second-hand shop and bought loads of coats for him to wear, that, and it was meant to be something that would look like a faded gentry. And the coat they eventually settled on, um, he put his hand in the pocket and pulled out a label, and it, um, and it was a receipt belonging to L. Frank Baum. So it was the guy who wrote Wizard wow. of Oz. Was it the Wizard of Oz's coat? Yeah, they took it to his widow to to check that it genuinely was L. Frank Baum's coat, and she confirmed it. So when the film was finished, they presented her with the jacket. Oh, that's nice. I I remember going through a a thing when I was like teenager, teenager, early teens, kind of thinking, oh, the Wizard of Oz. That's just for crappy kids, and it's dumb and stupid. And then you watch it again, and it's so hard to be cynical about it. It's brilliant. It's lovely. This, the, the music's uh, great. The, yeah, the songs are fantastic, as you, as you said, the colour and the contrast with the CP. I think if it had just been a Technicolor film, it wouldn't have stood out as much because the transition from the, sort of the dull sepia tone of uh, the Kansas farmstead to the vibrant Technicolor of Oz, it makes it, I think it makes it that much brighter and that much more interesting. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the thing is, though, Rob, I'm just remembering now that this did have a sequel. It had a sequel for a different studio. Okay. So that's how you got around it. Well, I was kind of hoping you'd go, when I suggested I was going to choose United Artists, a United Artists, and you go, no, you couldn't have that because it's the wrong studio. And right. then, then I'm like, Haha. So then, so, uh, okay, so <laughs> this is just constantly us trying to, like, outmaneuver each other now. Yep. I mean, I suppose that's the point of the show. But, like, I don't think either of us are as smart as we think the other one is. You know? What? We're playing, like, 5D chess, and there's no need. Do you get that feeling? No, I'm just really, uh, really stressed about picking about that the one day you were like, yeah, but it's not a sequel to so-and-so, and I'm like, ah, or I've picked the wrong year or something. Or Well, you just style it out like I do all the time. You know, you just suck it up and take your L like a man. I had to do that with Daredevil. It still counts. And to be honest... Think- if you had MGM Classic, if if someone brought it up, I can't imagine the title Wizard of Oz would be too far behind in terms no, of... No, in fact, loads of articles things. I was reading about uh, MGM films, it, it tended to be top, particularly around the musicals. Yes. Would you argue it deserves to be as iconic as it is? I don't know. Um, I mean, it's definitely got some iconic songs. Um It's, I mean, the central message of the film within that they've sort of gone through this whole journey and it turned out they had everything they needed inside them all along Mm. is i think timeless for sure and you saying about um sort of when you're in your tweens um or i don't think we went through i think we were too uh i think tweens came after us ben i think we were just teenagers about being cynical about it yeah um i yeah i I was as well i think it's only really been in later years as i've got older you can appreciate it it's um it's one of my it's 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 one of my uh, sorry it's 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 one. What are you trying to say, big man? I'm trying to say it's one of my dad's favourite films. Start with turning like I've got loads of dads. 
<laughs> I can't quite work out the phrase. It's one of my dad's favorite films. Is the phrase a perfectly yeah, normal okay. sentence? Okay. Oh my god. Right. It's one of my dad's favorite films. Which dad? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um and that is because of the central message, which I think I was it was often explained to me as a child, and I said I probably have only learned to appreciate it as I've got older. And it is, yeah, that despite they went through this journey, they had all the you know, the the scarecrow had the brains all along, the cowardly lion had the courage and the tin man had the heart and Dorothy could always go home. It was always it was always inside them that yeah. they, they had to do it for themselves. Oh no, it's a fantastic message. It really is. What is your favorite song or number from the movie? It well, it's 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 going to be over the rainbow or if I only had a brain. Mm. Over the rainbow was nearly cut. I know. Because think of they, that. They felt it made it made the Kansas scene go on too long. That's crazy to think. About. I think it was it last week. You uh, you sort of mentioned something about test audiences not knowing what was good for them. Mm. And I don't know if that was down to test audiences, but there are instances where it is things are. Oh, test audiences things. have have saved certain movies, or certainly for for the inclusion of a scene that would go on to become iconic in its own right. But uh, but yeah. Yeah, over the rainbow. Oh, it's so wistful and lovely. Hmm. There's uh, so so sort of um, so much trivia around, obviously, because you know the film came out uh, yeah, yeah decades ago. There's sort of so many facts and trivia about it, but the, the, there's apparently there was an entire excise plot which was meant to imply at the end that that uh, Dorothy was going to pursue a relationship with the guy who was the scarecrow. Right. Which is weird. Yeah, wasn't he like significantly older than her? Yeah, I think they they sort of de-aged Judy Garland. But yeah, he's portrayed as as yes significantly yeah. older. He's he's well, like I think that's I think that's why it wasn't put into the film. Yeah, I'm I'm sort of glad about that because it it's sort of I mean it wouldn't have been bad, but I'm I'm glad it sort of still has that innocent edge to it. Yeah, car chase, car chase. No, there's no car chase. It's just <laughs> yeah, there's no car steps. <laughs> the go on the 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 the, the Munchkins. In the book, are uh, meant to be the same height as uh, as Dorothy, as is the witch Glinda. Oh, um, and it's only in the film that portrayed them as uh, little yeah. people. Yeah, um, and a lot, a lot of them came. From, uh, it was like a troop that came over from Europe, and a lot of them were escaping Nazi Germany. And wow. I think all but two are dubbed because they couldn't speak English. Wow, I oh good. I really wish I'd watch The Wizard of Oz again now. When they go to Emerald City, there's colour-changing horses. And do you know how they change the colour of the horses? Uh, draw over the top of the frame? Jelly powder. Jelly powder. Yeah, the powder you use to make jelly. Yeah. Different colours. And they had to sort of fill, fill the scenes really quickly before the horses licked it off. <laughs> That may be my favourite bit of trivia. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just, you can imagine there's like a pink horse and a purple horse, and and they're just trying to lick each other, and they're just like, "Stop him! Get him apart! Get him apart! We haven't got this scene in the can yet." Oh, yeah. See again, ingenuity, just finding finding ways around things, just for that bit of magic that you would, you could be forgiven for not noticing it. I mean, it's yeah, a very yeah. quick bit, if I remember. Well, obviously, because they're licking the uh, powder off. Yeah, clearly. Oh, man. 
It's meant to be one of the uh, one of the most seen films in cinema history as well. Yeah, I don't doubt that. And it sort of regularly regularly appears in best of lists and you know um, sort of most iconic songs, most iconic quotes. Yeah, yeah. There's something about it that just keeps people coming back. I mean, to the point where I I wouldn't call myself a huge fan of Wizard of Oz. I think it's brilliant. I I and mm. I think it is genuinely a masterpiece. But I I felt weirdly defensive of it. I saw uh, I think it was a mobile advert on one of the games I often play on my phone, and it was Wizard of Oz slots. Oh wow. So they had they had the the, the game wasn't Wizard of Oz slots it was just advertising that, and they'd actually licensed Judy Garland's face as Dorothy, and I thought isn't that a little bit sort of disrespectful to like the whole legacy of Wizard of Oz? But then, what the hell do I know? <laughs> but I, it just struck me as just too tacky, just making some kind of like gauche Vegas slots game about it. But then I suppose they'll make a slots game out of anything but it's it seems strange to me specifically that they licensed judy garland as dorothy gale well, it's quite a sort of an innocent film as well isn't it so to have it kind of cynically making yeah i mean yeah exactly and i think i think that's that's the point it's just such a keystone of film history i'm annoyed at myself that i didn't pick it actually I wondered if you would, because you were saying um, in, in the week you said it, you, you were picking a film that was important to you. So I, I did kind of wonder if, if maybe it was this one. I think it did cross my mind. And then, then I just kind of like put it out of my mind just for this, because I've been very single minded about okay. what I was going to choose. But yeah, I, I, well, you can't argue with The Wizard of Oz. So I, So my choice has to be better than one of the all time classics. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, it's a, it's a it's a classical film. There's some you know really interesting technical stuff. It's a lovely looking film. It's got a lovely soundtrack. It's a I think it's a timeless story of you know good and bad and you know finding the hero within yourself, mm. being able to do it yourself all along, and about the importance of home. Yes, there's no place like it. Indeed, I'm gonna have to watch it again now. Uh, it's quite easy to be cynical about it, but it is a, it is a you know it is a lovely film. Yeah, well, I think anything that you're shown as a kid, then you have this sort of rejigging of your brain as you get older, where you're just like, oh, it's all kiddie stuff now. And you think that that's the mature thing. You just want you just want violence and and, and sex in movies. And that's, you know, because that's all adult stuff. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're an adult now. But, you know, then you grow out of that and you realize that actually you're just being a tool. And, and I'm glad I got over my bullshit childish cynicism of the wizard was because 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 of the wonderful <laughs> things it does oh so good but yeah no fantastic choice rob that that is a stunning haymaker right there that hey. has uh that has dizzied me somewhat and i'm feeling less confident about my shot to the gut that i'm going for so uh yeah i've gone for a film that's personally important to me uh, it's it's cool that you said about Wizard of Oz being your dad's favorite movie, yep. or one of your, one of his favorite movies, or one of your dad's one of, <laughs> yeah. one of their favorite movies. Because I'm choosing something that was one of my nana Jean's favorite movies, uh, and and became one of mine. So I've chosen Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Okay. Now I don't know if you've seen it. I have not. 
Okay, well, I'll give you a capsule description, but I will say some weird thing happened to me uh, when I wanted to rewatch it for this. Because as I said, like, just as soon as I checked, there was, I was pretty sure it was an MGM kind of production. And, you know, it was kind of musical from 1954. I totally didn't read that off a bit of paper. You know, so I, I knew that, that I was going to go for a, a kind of classic musical type thing. But uh, and, and, and this was it. And uh, my nana died, what, two years ago? Something like that. But And I have her DVD copy of Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Now, I watched it with, I watched the, the VHS with her uh, and my sister. We watched them with, we watched that. And The King and I was another one. A lot of Rodgers and Hammerstein kind of stuff. Yeah. But, but I remember Seven Brides for Seven Brothers always being my favorite. And weirdly... Uh, this DVD is still in its packaging. I don't, I, Nana never watched that copy. But as I went to take the cellophane off and unwrap it, um, it just became a huge emotional trigger and I just burst into tears. Oh, right. <laughs> I mean, it's like yeah. a sucker punch of emotion. And I was like, whoa, where did that come from? And And as a result, it has remained wrapped up. I'm keeping it. For some reason, even though Nana never watched it never probably interacted with it it probably just was mm. bought you know on a tesco visit or something and then just yeah. just kind of put in the thing but for some reason it it just kind of really really kind of got to me in that moment so i used that as an excuse to buy it on blu-ray in a nice special edition kind of thing and watched it there but i think that shows the sort of emotional connection i have with the movie i i absolutely associate this with my nana yeah, and uh, and she loved musicals, and and watching them with her as a kid is, is such a cherished kind of time, you know. And it's weird because Seven Brides Seven Brothers comes under a lot of fire because of well the plot that I will describe to you. So it concerns a man named Adam Pontpey, uh, played by Howard Keel. He's a mountain man, and he comes down. This is in frontier times. He comes down to town to trade, but he also wants to find a wife. He finds one in like an hour. Uh, they get married, and uh, he takes her back to his his cabin and farm. And it turns out he also has six brothers who uh, are all unruly. And the house is a mess. They don't know how to cook. So they just wanted like a cook and a cleaner. So Millie, who's uh, played by Jane Powell, uh, she feels very hard done by. And she even has a song on the way there called Wonderful, Wonderful Day, where she's talking about that, that she feels free because she was working in a bar and she was making stew for the men who came in, etc., etc. So she was like, oh, I get to do that for one man. And Adam's kind of looking a bit guilty. And then she launches into the song about how, you know, she's so happy. And then she comes back and then he's like, oh, yeah, and here are my six brothers who all need caring for. So there's that. There's that whole thing. Sexist. But what Seven by Seven Brothers is based on is a short story called The Sobbing Women, which itself is a parody short story based on the Sabine women. Of Roman times. Now, I don't know if you know about the rape of the Sabine women. Uh, no. Rape is used in this this old kind of thing as in kidnap, not sexual assault. Although okay. that probably did happen, but you know that sort of it, it's the sort of kidnap. So the Romans just saw these women like 
bathing and whatever, and they decided to take them. And by the time the village guys like came to claim their women, all the women were in love with the Romans, and they had their kids, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's a plot point. There's the switch where Adam convinces his brothers to go into town and kidnap their crushes. Now they've met these women before, but that doesn't make it right. <laughs> um, and and they kidnap them and take them up to the farm. And it's already been established that in the winter they go through Echo Pass and it's prone to avalanches. And if you get snowed in, then you're just there for months until spring, until the snow thaws. So they kidnap these women, make a hell of a lot of noise. The thing comes down and, and the women are trapped on the farm with the Pontypool brothers. So this sounds horrific, I imagine. This could be like a horror movie. I do find it tiresome kind of holding things from the past that clearly weren't intended that way to values of now. I, yeah. I don't think there's too much to be learned. I think it's an interesting interpretation and you can look at these things and go, oh, wow, that really wouldn't fly today. But I do think to actually like uh, criticize a movie for that is is sort of missing the point of the movie. Uh, I will share, I, <laughs> I found some amazing user reviews on IMDb. This person says, this is more obscene than the human caterpillar. <laughs> so... So clearly, clearly they're well versed in movies. Um, uh, The mashup of um, (laughs) the very hungry caterpillar. And then this one, who I mean, I I will just read it and I will just have to read it in the voice that comes out when I read it to myself. If you've read any of my reviews of musicals, then you know I only watch them so I can heckle them, like Mike Servo and Crow do to crummy movies sent to them by Dr. Forrester and TV's Frank on Mystery Science Theatre 3000. Seven Brides, like Seven Brothers. I Mystery Science Theatre 3000. I do as well. It, it, look, it, <laughs> I do as well. But this person thinks that he could be in mst3k an example of my jeers was that during the barn raising i said your barn doors open what a fucking zinger i've never read something that unfunny so that was sort of the sort of anti-hilarity uh that was sort of like bottled kind of nega laughs so i needed to share that i mean that's, can you imagine I mean, how fucking that's, insufferable he would be to watch a movie with that's quite something to kind of leave a review saying here are all the funny things i said when i was watching the film i mean oh dear lord yeah i mean imagine shouting all your opinions on a film for all all and sundry to hear i know right what we do is very different rob <laughs> keep telling yourself that <laughs> so yeah so this was directed by stanley uh dornan Darnan, I, I, I found different pronunciations of it. Uh, he was the co-director of Singing in the Rain and uh, a bunch of other things. I mean, tons of musicals. And Seven Brothers, Seven Brothers was a sleeper hit. It was kind of not meant to be as big as it became. It had its budget slashed quite significantly before it was actually properly filmed because MGM were putting their money into Brigadoon. Now, I don't know if you've heard of Brigadoon. Uh, I might have heard of it. I don't think I've seen it. Musical uh, based on on uh, the myth of a, a, a Scottish village that appears every hundred years or something. But Brigadoon was a huge flop, whereas Seven Brothers Seven Brothers just became this, this huge hit. 
Hmm. So yeah, so they they put all their eggs in the Brigadoon basket. So as a result, a lot of the scenes in the movie have painted backdrops and not particularly great painted backdrops either. Like it's clear, it it looks like it takes place on a soundstage because that's exactly what it was. There are a couple of location shots and it's funny how you said that um, uh, the movie starts with the sort of orchestra kind of almost going through the film score just as like a big thing. Well, Seven an overture, yeah. Seven Brides of Seven Brothers does that as well. There's there's something there's something great about this movie. I think I think some of the songs are really really good. Bless Your Beautiful Hide is is Howard Peel's like kind of opening number, talking about trying to find a wife and and everything. And he's got a deep kind of baritone uh, thing, whereas Jane Powell has a soprano voice. So when they sing together, they they really they. They're catching all the notes. I'm not a music man. Yeah. The thing is, it, it is very, very critical of Adam's whole thing. Because him him coming in and basically tricking Millie into thinking it's just going to be him and her. And then, not forcing, but sort of it's then assumed that she will cook and clean and look after all the other brothers. And then, then he, from reading one of Millie's books, because he reads Plutarch, and that's where he gets the whole Sabine thing. And, and you know, he gives his brothers the idea to go into town and nab the women. And then when he's called out on it by Millie, because Millie is furious when they bring the women back, the brothers are all kicked out in the barn. They have to sleep in the barn because that's where the animals sleep, as Millie says. And, and the women live in the house with her. And they they kind of become sort of mutually fascinated with with each other as they as as the months go on. And so when Adam is called out on this, he fucks off to another cabin that they've got a solitary cabin that is kind of cut off from everything to have a big sulk so it's interesting how it kind of treats adam and millie's kind of relationship you know there's the whole love at first sight thing they get married very quickly and whatever but you know there's a whole thing that she's annoyed at him he kind of expects her to sort of get in the marital bed she's she's annoyed that he's kind of um misinformed her so he then goes to sleep in a tree outside and then you know they start singing a song and she goes oh well you know i guess it wouldn't be too bad if you came and slept in here you know so values and consent and everything i mean this this was this was a 50s take on frontier times and the original short story uh the sovereign women it's millie who suggests that they go to the town and kidnap the women (laughs) this sort of plan is is down to sort of buffoonery this sort of ignorance of the brothers more than anything else it's not through malice and they certainly don't do anything to them they've just kidnapped them and then they stay in the house and and they sort of grow fonder of each other there they've already met at uh, a barn raising and the barn raising especially maybe one of my favorite sequences in films altogether oh wow there's something really really amazing about it there's uh because millie as you may imagine you know they're all unkempt unshaved and filthy clothes she cleans them all up she puts them in different primary colors you know they've all got different colored shirts kind of another link the sort of technicolor thing that's when the colors really really pop and so they go to this barn raising and the town guys are there and there are these these six i don't think they're sisters but six unmarried women and they clearly have taken a fancy to the pontipi brothers but you know so there's and they're they're jockeying for position in the dance you know and and the brothers, uh, the actors were chosen for some of their amazing athletic skills. So they do backflips off stuff. 
they they kind of have it's it's a really manly way of dancing <laughs> that's the only way i can think to put it but you know so they're all cleaned up and they're all nice and everything and and they're dancing with them and it's just the music is so good the music was uh directed by adolf deutsch i don't think you can get a more german name than that you know it, it's a riff on bless your beautiful hide but it kind of kicks up and kicks up and kicks up and it's some of the displays of athleticism and stuff here there's there's one where they're just like uh the youngest gideon is jumping and like jumping over an axe that he's holding in his hands you know that sort of move yeah sort of clearing yeah, yeah. the axe yeah. with like and i mean that's incredible you know they're doing flips off planks and and all stuff like that and then you have an actual barn racing sequence after that where the town men are clearly jealous that that the Pontypool brothers have have uh, have caught the eyes of the 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 women and they try and start a fight with them so they've all got to like put up the walls and everything and they sort of hit one of them over the head with a plank of wood they kind of hit one of them on the hand with a hammer and because they've promised Millie that they'll try and be gentlemanly and not fight you know they they kind of take it for a while and Adam is the one who g's them up and they do eventually have a fight and the whole barn comes falling down so Adam Adam is the catalyst or the twattalist for a lot of this. <laughs> and and so that's that's interesting because I think it is the film is very critical of Adam. Uh because you have a moment as well when Adam has fucked off to the other cabin. Gideon, you know, the starry-eyed younger brother who looks up to his older brother for everything, punches him and says that he doesn't respect him for for what he's doing. So there are interesting things and and when when he, when Adam kind of realizes that he's being a jerk, and he tells his brothers, they try to take the women back. Then once the the snows have thawed, but the women are in love with them by then, and the women don't want to go. One of the one of the women, one of the things, uh, Dorcas is played by Judy Newmar, who's a future Catwoman in the Batman TV series. Okay. So yeah, and there's the big misunderstanding. The sort of angry mob come from town to you know reclaim their daughters and whatever and 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 they they believe as as the dudes are trying to like put them in a in a wagon to take take them back to town they assume that the men are forcing themselves on them blah 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 um yeah it's yes obviously these values don't fly now but it's not nearly as problematic as the guy who thinks it's worse than the human caterpillar <laughs> <laughs> you know like it's it's clearly it's clearly done in jest and and i the the intent there's no malice there it's it's like a fairy tale and there's sort of backdrops and everything sort of add to that the primary colors the pontypi kind of brothers the fact that it is adam and his six brothers and they're all they've all got names from the bible so adam benjamin caleb daniel ephraim uh, and there was no f name so his real his full name is frankincense but he gets annoyed at people using his full name so they just call him frank and Gideon. So so you know it is it does have that fairy tale quality to it which I yeah. think sort of not necessarily glosses over the nastier stuff but it's certainly kind of it's kind of expected of a fairy tale type thing. Yeah, Howard Keel has an amazing voice. He's a very handsome man. I, I I say that with all confidence. Jane Powell is awesome. I mean she she has such a and I would say it's a trill but trill is normally used for like bad things, but she does have a, a trill to her. Uh, and what is interesting in Wonderful, Wonderful Day, the song that she sings when she's talking about how brilliant married life is going to be, she's she's meant to be on like a hillside. 
but it's clearly a studio backlot with a with a painted back thing and so they have one point where they simulate wind and they have leaves and they let a couple of birds go and you can see a couple of birds slam into the backdrop oh wow yeah which the director even acknowledged yeah you can see like one and apparently it was it was several birds that got confused and sort of flew into the backdrop but yeah it's it's a great movie and and i think that you know it's often brought up in kind of greatest musicals kind of thing but it's quite low low down and i i don't know why because while it does have the now problematic kind of central bit to it, I think that the actual, everything else just works. And, and yeah, and it will always be, it will always be a special movie to me. That and The King and I, The King and I was another choice uh, that I had. And I just thought, no, Seven Brides of Seven Brothers. It was just, it was just the thing that stuck with me. And I remembered, I remembered the barn raising kind of scene i remembered the barn dance i remembered the kind of thing and and that that image even though i hadn't seen the movie for 25 years something like that it was just as vivid as it was me watching it now on blu-ray so so yeah there are some really really interesting things about it if i'm honest i don't think it's going to beat the wizard of oz okay (laughs) i mean it, it it can't it you know it's it's one of those things it's like you you look at you look at kind of uh film history and everything and as i said where's the ball is a, is a keystone seven brothers seven brothers is an offshoot if best but in terms of personal importance mm. in terms of films that are in my dna seven brothers seven brothers is there so i'm willing I'm willing to I take think, the L on this one. I, I don't know. I think this might be another uh, film wins because I would say that sort of. Um, I, I, I think The Wizard of Oz is, has that kind of importance to me as well. Plus, also, you could argue that, you know, it did have the return to Oz and, you know, Oz the Great and Powerful prequel thing. But again, those are Disney and I don't know whether they're technically part of it. I, I think look, based man, on other elements of the L. Frank Bell we, books. We but. set the rules here. I don't think we haven't, there isn't some kind of governing body for the Popcorn Bucket podcast which goes, disallowed. <laughs> so I I think we, I, I'll let you get away with The Wizard of Oz because it is its own thing. Return to Oz, yeah, you could technically, you can, and yeah, Oz the Great and Powerful and any number of sort of weird spin offs. The Wiz. Muppets Wizard of Oz. Yeah, so, so, but I, I think, I think calling it a franchise would be a little bit disingenuous. So I, I, you, you can get away with the Wizard of Oz, but I mean, I'm, I'm happy for this to be a film wins, but yeah, I think so. I, you reckon? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Have I done a, a, an all right job of, of kind of expressing? Well, I think you kind of about Seven Brides, Seven Brothers. Uh, I, I, th- I think you're, you're a bit at the beginning, sort of talking about your nan. I think sort of. Yeah, was quite powerful. Was it great and powerful? Like Oz? Uh, I'm not doing it to basically, get... Basically, you've done the X Factor thing. Of... <laughs> I've got the sob story. Literally, <laughs> I'm doing it for my nan. literal sob story, yeah. I know, I know, I know. But I, I think, because initially, I will be honest, I was thinking, yeah, I'm not going to tell, uh, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to say that on the podcast. But then I thought, 
I think that sort of hammers home how important it is yeah. and how much I identify certain movies with things. And, it, and then I was very, very pleased when you said it was one of your many dads, one of their favorite films, because like The Wizard of Oz, because I thought, I think that's kind of what these classics are. We're, these are secondhand, thirdhand movies to us, but we found something that appeals to us as well. Like it's been passed down literal generations. And, and I think that's what makes it special. Yeah. That's what makes yeah. both of them special in their own way, you know? I, and, and I think that, yeah, that's, that's the thing. So, so yeah, film, film can win on this one. Film is always sodding winning. I mean, we're going to have to do a thing where, uh, but I just can't, it's, it's very, very tough to argue against the wizard of Oz. <laughs> it's just, it, you can't really it's just that good that iconic but i'm glad seven brides seven brothers gets a shout out anyway and i'm glad that it is part of filmman's because it it is really good if if you haven't seen it uh maybe i haven't done the best job audience of expressing how great it is and and maybe maybe you'd watch it and you'd see all the problematic stuff and and wouldn't be able to get past that and that's fine too but i think when i was introduced to it you know i was a kid uh, as I said, there's no real malice to it. There's no kind of dark intent or anything. It's mostly down to stupidity and buffoonery. You know, may- maybe it isn't an enduring classic for for a lot of people, but it it, it is for me. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm cool with that. It not necessarily being knocked out by the Wizard of Oz. That's that's all right. They did do a TV series. Uh, there's a stage show of Seven Brides Seven Brothers. I thought as well. it was a stage show, yeah. Yeah, but they did do a, t- a short-lived TV series. Okay. Starring Richard Dean Anderson, <laughs> MacGyver himself. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I urge you to uh, look up the intro if if you're at all familiar with Seven Brides Seven Brothers. I urge you to look up the TV intro because apparently they only had like one iconic song each episode from the movie. And kind of went their own with it. And, and the sort of intro is like, seven brothers looking for love. You know, kind of just awful, sappy shite. Oh, River Phoenix was in it as well. Okay. So, um, so yeah. Okay, so if film wins, what have we learned about our picks? I think we need to uh, maybe not allow film to win the next time. I know. It does seem like a cop-out thing, but yeah. I'm... I'm I'm fine with that. It, I think I think the Wizard of Oz is a, is an eternal trump card. I think you just you know it's it's one of those things you can't. I think you're a fool if you sort of downplay its accomplishments. I mean, yeah, you may not like the movie, but then its legacy is is undeniable, and I think that factors into it. But uh, yes, we have to break this deadlock. We have to. I mean, this is the thing. We could look at it as we're not against each other. We've got to beat film. <laughs> I mean, as weird as that is, maybe maybe that's the key to it. But yeah, film wins this maybe time. Maybe in the future we'll throw it open to a vote. But then we won't know who's won until later on. We'll have to have like a results show, like yeah. the X Factor. Australia come dancing. <laughs> yeah. But I don't think I'll have a sob story for each one now. I think I think I've I've just just used up my uh, my one and only sob story. So. But, you know, that's what I get for sharing my vulnerabilities with a friend. I get mocked. It's fine. It's fine. It just means you're a bad person. I said it was a strong start. And And then it beats it out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, 
as always, I'm I'm astounded by how much film can mean to people and, and you know, and the meaning we take to these things. And it is nice that it gets sort of passed on and passed down and Oh, absolutely. Like now yeah. my, my kids watch uh, uh The Wizard of Oz with uh with my dad. I yeah, that's that's special right there. That's that's some that's some proper movie magic. So film wins in that respect too. I think I think that's it. Film wins again. That that clever conniving bastard that film is. It's won. It's done us both, mate. It's been like one of those sort of very special episodes of you know like, like American teen programs. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. But that's cool. We're showing that we can be sensitive as well as sexy. Oh, Ben, do you want to go over to the concession stand for some pick and mix? Yes, I do. Let's go over there now. What is there this week? Oh, it's some popcorn. And, oh, it's like... Uh, it it's, it smells like space. But then I tried to grab some, and it, it just blasted really quickly, like, super fast, and I couldn't catch it. Oh, I thought it would look more like unfinished popcorn. It was like the kernels of before it was an actual popcorn. Almost like a prequel. Maybe we're looking at different buckets. <laughs> Yep, so this week need the trailer to... for... <laughs> we need to work on this concession stand shit. I was hoping that you had a, like a popcorn flavour or some kind of snack ready to go, and then you asked me, and I was like, oh, God, I need to come up with something as insane as Rob came up with for Uncharted last time. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, it goes super fast and it travels like... But then I was thinking, that's light speed, not a light year, you prick. And then I needed digging out of the whole thing. So, yeah, the Lightyear trailer. Yeah, a done seen it. Toy Story. Yeah, but sort of like a weird in-universe thing. So this is this is the is it an in-universe TV show that the toy is based on? What's what's the actual oh, deal? I wasn't sure. It was, I wasn't sure it was meant to be like the cat, like a like a person, almost like Buzz Lightyear is like the toy version of Buzz Aldrin. Hmm, I don't know. I think if I remember, I, I remember some people saying because it is kind of confusing that they would do this. But like, I mean, maybe it could be a real person because I'm just trying to think. Of, in Toy Story, as I said, the world's greatest action hero is now the world's greatest toy. Okay, Buzz Lightyear. That does so, probably indicate that it's a. Also, it's meant to be, you know, with the exception of living toys. Toy Story's like set in a, you know, modern era, not hmm. some sort of futuristic sci-fi. Mm. You don't know though. It's certainly an interesting thing to uh, to go about it. I mean, I I, I kind of like the look of this. I mean, when you use David Bowie, you're kind of cheating. It's like a cheat code, uh, especially when it's my favourite song, Starman. They didn't trailerize it fully. They just put more gaps in the whole thing. I'm glad they didn't have like a slow ponderous. There's a star man. They could have used the version from Secret Life of Walter Mitty. That's a nice version. No, no, sorry, it's the wrong one. That's Space Oddity. You could use Space yeah. Oddity. That's a nice song. <laughs> yeah, I tried my best to blank Walter Missy out of my brain. It's a good uh, song. Okay, I will watch it again. I said I would. I just haven't got round to it yet. Because, you know, I, I kind of think about watching it and then I'm just like, oh, but I could watch a good film. So what were your thoughts on this trailer. Well, it's a teaser trailer. It's so a teaser there's trailer. not much. Yeah. Uh, 
it doesn't make me want to see it. I kind of think if Pixar wants to do a sci-fi film, they could have just made a sci-fi film. Mm. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of interested. I remember they had a Disney cartoon. I think that was Buzz Lightyear and Star Command. Command. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that was actually not bad. I mean, this doesn't seem like an adaptation of that. But, you know, the sort of extended adventures of, of Buzz Lightyear. I'm down for Chris Evans voicing Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, I guess. God knows why they can't get Tim Allen, though. I mean, surely he is Buzz Lightyear. Maybe he didn't ask. Maybe he refused after how much they uh, spoiled Buzz in Toy Story 4. Yeah. But he voiced Buzz in Toy Story 4. He did. That's what I mean. Yeah. I I can't imagine Tim Allen can pick and choose his projects. Well, I think think Chris Evans said that he wasn't going to play the toys only because it's meant to be a person that the toy is based on. I mean, it looks cool. Uh, I, God knows the, the kind of story it does seem like a, a, a Buzz Lightyear of Star Command kind of thing. It's certainly weird. Not not sold on it, but Starman does does kind of put it over. I'm a I'm a sucker for Starman, man. It's a good song. So, I, yeah, I don't have much else to say. I mean, is, is there anything that's stuck out to you? No, no. Just it's out and it was, yeah, it doesn't, obviously doesn't look like Toy Story and it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't grab me. No, I'll, I'll wait and see because Pixar, I mean, yes, they've had some doff movies as well, just like any other. Finding Nemo, Finding Dory. Whoa, find it. What's all this Finding Nemo slander? No, it's a flounder. I hate you. Uh, right, that's it for this week and possibly forever. Yeah, what I was saying is they've done some Duff movies, but I don't know, they could just be using this as, as an excuse to do a cool sci-fi thing. And maybe this is sort of playing it safe by not playing it safe. So they've got the recognisable character in the form of Buzz Lightyear, but then everything else is new. And he doesn't say to infinity, he said, well, and beyond. He stopped short, just like Chris Evans at the end of Avengers. Oh, yeah. Did not make that link. Brilliant. Yeah, so well, it's out next year. So, we'll see. wonder if we have to do a Toy Story episode before that. Or wait till it's out and include it. I don't know. I mean, it counts as a spin-off. It's not a sequel. It's part of the franchise. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I'm I'm gonna see because our, our our Toy Story episode was kind of damaged, wasn't it? That was the that was the whole thing. That it was very glitchy, and uh, I think a lot of our points on Toy Story three were sort of garbled. No, it didn't record you. That was the problem with that one. Oh, You're yeah. That museum, that museum garbled. Oh, I know. Toy I know. Story just didn't record you. I know, and I'm the most important bit. Well, otherwise, you're just me talking to myself and answering, <laughs> like, silence. Yeah. Not even doing the voice, like, oh, yes. <laughs> um, so that's that. I think that's it for this week, mate. Okay. I can't think of anything else. That's so it, let's leave it. this concession stand. No, I'm trying to get us out of the... Because that's the thing. Otherwise, we're just going to be standing at the concession stand. And I've picked weird space popcorn, and you've picked, like, unpop popcorn. So Co- you've uh, both a, got a popcorn prequel. 
Yeah, so we've both got refunds. Because it was a prequel to Toy Story, that's why. No, I get it. I get it. We've both got refunds, and now we're walking out of the cinema, and now it is time, children, for us to say goodbye. That's it for this week. Thank you very much for your time, and thank you for listening. We'd love to have your feedback. Please email podcast at popcornbucket.com. You can find us on Instagram at popcornbucketpod, or over on Twitter at popcornbucketpd, or on goodpods at popcornbucket. If you're able to, it would be great if you can rate the episode wherever you listen to your podcast and subscribe and share. Thank you so much, as always, to Lawrence Owen of Longcat Media for the theme music. Many thanks, take care, and see you next episode. What he said. <laughs>